0: My favorite part is the next level where on the bottom of almost all of my constructs on the bottom of my sheets is always that I choose because empowering students to recognize whatever the circumstances, whatever their background is, whatever their history is, there is always place for choice. And that's something that I feel like our students are sorely, sorely lacking, especially in today's culture and society where there's such a push on the other needs to take care of me and less personal responsibility
1: around the world, so you'll get to hear the latest evidence-based strategies before anyone else. This is the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. Hi there, my name's Simon Currigan, and welcome to this week's episode of School Behaviour Secrets. And I should warn you, if you're not listening carefully to this week's episode, I will keep you back after the podcast until you've paid attention and learned the material. Remember, it's your own time you're wasting. I'm joined this week by my knowledgeable co-host, Emma Shackleton, who I'm
2: sure never got kept in at playtime. Hi, Emma. Hi, Simon. I did, actually. (laughs) But maybe we'll save that story for another day. Maybe. Emma,
1: before we get to this week's interview, I just wanted to ask you a question. Now, according to a survey of 7,000 Australians, what five qualities did both men and women consider important qualities for sexual attraction in a partner?
2: Okay, I'm not quite sure where we're going with this, but I trust you, I think. Top five qualities for sexual attraction in a partner. Well, in no particular order, let's guess. Good sense of humour, looks, age maybe, how kind they are. And maybe honesty or trustworthiness?
1: Okay, interesting answers. We've certainly got an insight into your psyche. (laughs) The answers that the 7,000 Australians gave in no particular order, by the way, were trust, openness, emotional connection, physical build, and attractiveness. Ah,
2: so I wasn't too far off the mark then. Where are we going with this then? Are we looking at moving to the dating podcast genre?
1: No, not just yet. The thing is, if you look at three of those qualities, certainly, trust, openness, and emotional connection, well, they all rely on having good social skills. Good social skills are essential to form any kind of relationship, including friendships. And social skills are the focus of my interview today, with Miriam Campbell, who is an expert on supporting students with their social and emotional learning in school.
2: Ah, okay, I get it. We're focusing on social skills development. Well, I'm glad. That's safer ground. Just before we play that interview, can I ask our listeners to do a quick favour, please? Small actions can have a big ripple effect. So if you're finding the information that you hear in our podcast helpful or useful, please consider sharing with a couple of your friends or colleagues in education. That way, you'll be helping us on our mission to reach other like-minded individuals who want to do their very best for the kids that they work with. And that is bound to make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. So now, here's Simon's interview with Miriam Campbell.
1: Today, we're very lucky to have Miriam Campbell on the show. Miriam is a speech-language pathologist, social worker, former teacher and mother. She currently works one-to-one with parents providing support for social skills and social and emotional development. Her social skills book, Bubble Double, is newly available on Amazon and has already helped hundreds of families and classrooms with supporting social skills acquisition. Her school professional development training program, Skills for Connection, is the first of its kind in integrating social and emotional skills naturally throughout the day including through academic lessons. Miriam, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. I'm, I'm so excited to be here.
1: It's really good to have you here. And, and we've never really touched on this topic in the podcast before, which is a bit of a shocker, really, because social skills are so integral to our children's survival and thrival in schools. Is thrival a word? I don't know, how I'm going to go with it. <laughs> so I'd like to start by asking specifically, what are social skills and why are they important?
0: So when I think of social skills as like the skills for connection. And that's really, that's the name of my program, because in my mind, it's not anything other than a way to connect, the desire to connect with an other. And so it looks different across different cultures. It looks different across in families, but it is a language and it's, you know, the part of my speech language background where it's a agreed upon language amongst people. It is definitely our way of engaging with with other people has Rules that are set to, into it that help us be able to connect with another person. So it's always about connection, whether it's, you know, the conversation part of connection or whether it's the perspective taking part of connection or the communication, the conversation skills, the eye contact, the body space, the language. And especially now with the new awareness of the diverse, you know, approach that people have towards connection, it's really a way of us being able to understand like, Who am I and who is the other? And how do I cross that divide between the two? So that way I don't have to live in an island by myself and they don't have to live in an island by themselves. And we can actually all grow in the process as educators, as therapists, as children, as parents, as leaders, principals. That is really how I see it. So the program that I do really addresses all the different groups because it is incumbent upon all of us. It's not just something we're teaching the kids We have to be living it in order to be able to teach the kids. That's what I think social skills is. And
1: this threads through our kids' lives in school, yeah?
0: Yes, very much. And I was in the school as a therapist, as a speech therapist, as a social worker, and then as a teacher. I actually transitioned to teaching because I felt first of all I wanted to understand what the teacher was going through I had spent a lot of time taking kids out of the classroom and even doing push-in and uh, it's a very different you know ball game like I learned that teachers are our heroes um, when I stepped into the classroom and recognized more and more the longer I was in the classroom how much teachers have the power to be able to actually teach these you know theoretical concepts that we had been talking about in the therapy sessions in real life when the struggle with the math came into how do I deal with flexible thinking how do I think deal with growth mindset? How do I do uh, self-awareness? How do I identify my emotions? How do I regulate my emotions when I come into a conflict? And really what that did for, you know, what that is doing for the schools that are integrating this approach is allows them to see the conflicts that they engage with, with the students as opportunities. Because instead of like The kid freaked out in class, you go home, you're driving home from, you know, work and it was like, I had a terrible day. It's something that's not even in your own, you know, control. It wasn't even something that it becomes like this issue, this conflict is now space and room for me to teach, for me to learn myself as far as regulating my own emotions and developing my own self into the most compassionate, empathic, patient person that I want to be as a person and as a teacher and as an educator, and then also helping my student develop those skills. So it's like um, allows when we see it as an integrated part of everything we're doing, how we walk through the halls in the school. Oh, we're thinking about the other classrooms and we're quiet because we think about that they might be taking a test. They might feel jealous that they don't get to go out right now and they have to be in the classroom. It changes the way that we think about the rules in school and it changes our conflicts that we address in school. And it allows us to really provide life skills. For our kids. So a math lesson that may or may not be relevant for a student who chooses to go into writing or chooses to, you know, it becomes something that that math lesson becomes integral because they learn how to overcome challenge. Or I say math because I'm not a mathematician, but (laughs) I'm (laughs) I'm, uh, projecting for all those kids out there. (laughs) <laughs> but whatever the skills, whatever the challenges or even a conflict with bullying in the classroom or clicks in the classroom or struggles with the isolation or anxiety all the things that are we see our kids are struggling with we have an access to be able to actually give them tools you can as a professional as a teacher as a therapist can have this the confidence oh I know what to do I know what I would want to grow in myself when my student is you know melting and tantruming and how to address the rest of the classroom and it just allows for us when we think see ourselves as developing skills for connection throughout the day as teachers as as the staff as the adults in our kids lives it it changes the whole thing everything is an opportunity it's all you know learning and it's all growing and it's beautiful and exciting and the energy that people have of I feel burnt out from this becomes okay this is what my student is dealing with even uh, I I hear all the time about like you know the learning loss from COVID learning loss like Are we talking academic learning loss? Are we talking about life learning loss? Because the skills that so many of our students had to learn, how do I entertain myself? How do I deal with the conflicts that are at home with siblings, with school, with Zoom, with all the things that our kids had to deal with? When we see our lives, not as the boxes, but as like learning opportunities and growth, It energizes us as teachers and it allows us to help, you know, water our kids and water our students to be able to grow in that way as well.
1: I really like that approach. The idea that you can look at, uh, say, a behavior issue in class as something that's interrupting the learning, something that, you know, oh, we've got to deal with. But actually, it's a coaching opportunity. There's a missing social skill there. And actually, we can jump in and make a positive difference if we've got the right tools. Right. And we feel confident about what we're doing to make a real difference. that child not just in my lesson but perhaps the lesson after and the lesson after and the lesson after and when they go home and when they're playing with their friends
0: yes and I, i always find myself like you know when i hear about okay having the confidence i'm not talking about perfection i'm talking about the learning process and when we see ourselves in that process of learning when we see ourselves like oh i actually didn't know what to respond when the student XYZ or I felt my blood boiling and I felt my face turn red and I felt myself losing it. That honesty to be able to be part of the process of developing our own skills as educators. Like I screamed at that student. I, you know, flipped out at that student being able to be honest with our own process of I don't have a skill in this or I'm working on a skill in this is also part of that process just like we want our students to be able to see themselves on a lifelong you know trajectory of growth and development and you know progression we see ourselves as that as educators oh I don't know how to deal with this student that is having a very difficult you know difficult time focusing and it's disruptive to the students around them okay let me be honest with that let me reflect on develop those skills.
1: Why do you think some children seem to learn these social skills easily and naturally while others find it more difficult?
0: That is the million dollar question that everyone, all the scientists are asking, you know, why are there so many more definitions (laughs) of UHD, of autism, of all these things. There are like probably, you know, you could think for yourself of how the world has changed in the last two years, in the last
1: uh, five years. It's only two years, only two years, but it feels like a lot longer.
0: But even as far as like the advent of internet, how much the increase of anxiety amongst our kids, it's so directly proportionate. Like you could see it in the studies. It's its ridiculous that there isn't more action being done to help protect our kids from this, from the media exposure that they are just being, you know, flooded with and the impact that's having on our kids. But there's also some people have inborn traits that are, make it more difficult. Let's say attention makes it harder to be able to be aware of yourself, of your own process, and also can make it more difficult to be aware of the other. That's an issue. Our parents being more distracted? I think even in the schoolyard, how many teachers are scrolling through on their phones? They're not supposed to have their phones on them, but how much our kids are seeing lack of social interaction and engagement that's how we learn anything is through our models. That's our guide. And whether it's through our models of what we don't want or our models of what we do want and we want to imitate, we want to provide models where they can imitate us. We don't want to be that teacher that's like, oh, I want to be like, not like that teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm learning through the no. We want them to learn through yes. But there's so many um, components of the pieces that cause it to be challenging for our kids nowadays. What kinds of
1: behaviors might we see in the classroom that result from difficulties with social skills? What are the telltale signs as an adult teaching and watching my kids in the classroom?
0: That is such a good question. I would say everything. (laughs) How's that? Meaning like when you think about, let's say a child that's struggling with anxiety or flexible thinking, for example, what is underlying that? You know, a child who struggles with flexible thinking very often has difficulty with their environment and doesn't understand their environment, which might be a cognitive skill of sequencing or cause and effect. So they don't understand the randomness that is their patterns of their life, that they don't really see the patterns. So they are very inflexible with the must have this marker or you said we were going to go to the gym on this day um they're very inflexible that can be sharing or telling of an underlying skill uh difficulty with perspective taking so a kid that's really like having a hard time like uh, having things done their way they need it to be their way or somebody who is struggling with bullying or a student who's struggling with being bullied or like re- emotional regulation like i could go on and on and on I would say like, I'm nervous to this because I'm sure someone is going to be able to come up with a difference, but I would say everything that is a challenge in the classroom at its core has its roots in needing development and skills for connection, whether it's with ourselves or with the other or, you know. And everything that encompasses.
1: Okay, so we see our child who's having difficulty socially in the classroom.
0: How do we then
1: identify exactly which building blocks, which social skills that they might need to support to develop?
0: That's where the fun part comes because the more aware and open we are to really seeing our students, the more we're going to pick up and they're going to tell us where their holes are. I was just speaking to a parent doing a parent coaching with Parent yesterday, and they were saying how their child keeps on asking them, like, wait, what's the day that we're doing this? What's this? You know, and she was able to realize that we worked together to help her realize that it's, it's a sequencing issue. So that was like a cognitive challenge versus another parent who was struggling with, um, a child who has difficulty with turn taking. <laughs> their siblings are banging on the bathroom door. They want their turn, you know, and what are they going to do? <laughs> and so it's figuring out like, uh, I teach constructs. I teach 12 constructs of different processes. I do it in six different courses and I walk through what the specific skills are that are underlying other skills. And so like, if you're struggling with self-awareness, how do you connect? How do they let them see the connection between their body language and what they're communicating and what the other person's thought they might have and their, and their feeling about that. And then therefore their response about that. That's an IC, I think I feel I choose model that I teach them or let's say perspective taking. So then like how to integrate. Okay. So like, well, who are you in this? And being able to validate the student in their own experience. And then the student then is challenged to, okay, well, who are they in it? This is who you are in it. You're seen, you're heard, you're validated, you're, you know, accepted. Now, who is the other? And then the, my favorite part is the next level where on the bottom of almost all of my constructs on the bottom of my sheets is always the I choose because empower students to recognize whatever the circumstances, whatever their background is, whatever their history is, there's is always place for choice. And that's something that I feel like our students are sorely, sorely lacking, especially in today's culture and society, where there's such a push on the other needs to take care of me and less personal responsibility. That piece of the I choose is really what helps us be able to empower our students. So where I had a student I was once working with. You know, the teacher had contacted me. How do we work with this student? He tells me I have ADHD. I'm a lot of punch to other kids. I have ADHD. They need to understand me. And I remember like, a, he was really ha- struggling with this. I changed the details, obviously, because he, he couldn't see his own role in it and he couldn't take responsibility of his own role in it or even see the hope. And when we tell our children you have choice, it gives them hope to be able to, to be better, to be different, to be more advanced, more evolved, like all the things that we admire about, you know, overcoming and achieving, we allow them to have space to actually access that for themselves. So when I go into a school and teachers tell me, okay, there is a bullying issue in this classroom, then we can actually address, okay, so where are the holes? Is there self-esteem issues here? Does the person have self-awareness? Are they succeeding in anything? Is the hole more a place of that they don't have the cognitive skill or that they don't have enough self that they can't get to the next stage? Where are the holes that are happening and then address them? And again, giving our students that piece of I choose. You have choice in this. And when I do teacher trainings, <laughs> this is something that as a teacher may or may not have happened to me. <laughs> I was in a classroom. Uh, it happened to me and I'm in the middle of teaching. And I had a very, you know, as everyone does, students of all different ranges. And I had my student go to the back of the classroom, one of them, and shut the light off in the middle of my lesson. Now, I was in a school where I did not have support to be able to send a student out for being disruptive. The student either was with me or they were outside by themselves in the hallway. There was no, you know, school social worker or anybody to help support this teacher, me. And so I had to like think about my choices. So like thinking through, let's say, my construct of that. I see, I think, I feel, I choose. Okay, I see my, you know, the lights off. I think the room is about to erupt in chaos. I feel panicky. I choose to run out of the room and never come back. No, just kidding. I think this may be a problem. I feel concerned. I choose to take a deep breath. <sighs> okay. I see the light is off. I think this is an interesting challenge because now I've taken a breath. I have new thought. I have new blood flow. I have new progress. Okay. I've now, I've see that my, I'm a person of choice. I can either run out of the classroom or as a person of choice, as a teacher, I can choose to find a solution in this space. So what I ended up doing was teaching with my hand over the light and how much the students heard, I don't know. That was the best I could come up with in the time. And that's also okay. Even if that wasn't the best solution and maybe after the fact, I could have maybe thought to, I don't know, page somebody to maybe come or come up with other type of solution. In the moment, that was the best choice. And for me to be able to have that self-reflection of, okay, I'm also a person of choice. I'm also a person of self-awareness. I'm also a person It's also incumbent on me to choose my response, who I want to be in this moment, and model that for my students. But the underlying pieces of each component are the pieces that we learn as educators to be able to see where our students are struggling, where do they need that support.
1: You make such a good point because the stories we tell ourselves about the situation we are in and the kinds of people we are... Kind of dictate our response then. So you gave the example of a student. If you tell yourself the story that I cannot succeed in this situation and I can only succeed if everyone helps me and I have no choice, then that kind of writes what's going to happen next, really. And it's probably going to be negative. As an adult, if we're struggling to teach a class, if we tell ourselves the story, I cannot cope in this situation, I need to run away, then that's probably what will happen or will have a terrible afternoon. But if we rewrite that story consciously and say, well, there is something I can do here, it might not be perfect, it's not gonna be a brilliant afternoon, but actually I have got what it takes to cope in this situation. That reframing is really powerful, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's very powerful. And to me, people have a hard time with this uh, distinction because if I, everyone should accept me the way I am, and that means like I'm in the right, then I can't really make any mistakes. But if I'm responsible for my choices, then I can make a mistake. And it actually allows for more compassion when we see ourselves as responsible. And as people of choice, you know, and when we don't respond the way we want, I actually I did a training in a a preschool once and the principal came up to me afterwards and she said, aside from like the teachers appreciating what it was, she's like, what you offered us was the opportunity to be able to be imperfect in what we do. And when we have the capacity to be imperfect in our learning process, then we can actually improve. She said, you know, there was teachers that had been there for years that that for the first time were asking questions that could ask questions. Because they didn't have to be perfect in their skills for connection because it's a lifelong process. So if you don't have to be perfect, you actually can grow. Because if you have to have in your head that I am perfect, then you can't actually grow. You've already hit the ceiling. There's no space. Like, you can't break that ceiling. The skills I'm using, I use in my own life. I'm growing myself. I use them in, as a parent. I use them as, as a spouse. I use them in, as a, you know, in my work. I always have to be growing. I have to be able to say like, oh, that podcast, I didn't really love what I said that time. Or I didn't like the way I framed it. And I have to be able to be honest about that. All right, that class I gave, that didn't really work out. So, well, let me try and grow. Let me try and adjust. And then I'm always going to be assured to be improving.
1: That's such an important point. So, Miriam, one stumbling block that I've seen that's common for social skills interventions is Say the people goes away to work in a group or individually with a member of staff and they practice one of these skills and they're able to use it in that small group or that one-to-one environment, but then they have real difficulty transferring that knowledge to the real world where they actually need it. What have you found is the secret to helping them use those skills throughout the day practically when they actually need them?
0: That is such a scary question because it actually is probably at the heart of most of the difficulties of social skills intervention. Um, it actually made me take pause when I was considering what to do. Like, should I be encountering this very terrifying truth that the skill integration is the hardest part of social skills conceptually? Very often our students have the concepts and sometimes they could even do it in practice. Although that is, you know, the next level up is when they can do it in practice. But how do we get it actually into their life. And that was really when I started transitioning. I started out working with kids directly. And then I found I would either go into the classroom and try and talk to the teacher. And they were obviously trying to take care of that 30 other kids in their classroom. Or I would as a, you know, try and reach out to their parents. It's very, very difficult to reach out to, you know, connect, especially in the school setting. That was very, very hard. And so I was having difficulty reaching the teachers, difficulty reaching the parents. And how do I get these skills that my students are working hard on developing from our sessions to real life? And that was partially why I decided to start teaching. Like, what would it look like if a teacher who's with the students for so many hours of the day actually could integrate these skills? Now, what I found was, is that without having like a program or infrastructure, even though I'm a speech therapist, I'm a social worker, I'm trained in this. It is so hard to fit it into your day. How do you and, you know, add another subject to your class? So that was when I really realized it has to be something that is plastic and that it's fluid and how it's naturally integrated, where it's something that as the teacher I'm thinking about in my own process and through my thinking about it, I'm able to relate to the students through that lens. So that was how I created the uh, Skills for Connection was I wanted to give teachers constructs where they felt confident. I understand this construct. I understand how to use it. So let's say they would do like a school's training and then they would figure out, okay, follow up questions. How do I actually fit, fit that in? How do we actually use these skills? So that way, when I am seeing the student melt, this is how I say it. And when how do I use this construct to do a social studies lesson? How do I use this construct to do a math lesson? How do I use this construct to discuss the conflict of noisiness in, you know, the lunchroom? Any conflict that came up, if we have these constructs in place and that our teachers feel confident in it, then they're able to be the ambassadors of social skills throughout the day. And that was where change happened when everyone was on board. And I'm talking about like the school was on board. And you know, the schools that have, you know, that have really taken this seriously then do parent trainings at night where then like they'll train their parents how to use it. So that way the students all day long are hearing about the connection between their thoughts and their feelings just because that's how people are talking. Oh, I see your arms are crossed. I see you looking down. I'm thinking something's bothering you. I'm feeling concerned. I just ask, how are you doing? What's going on? Or are you okay? I see that your paper is crumpled up. I think you like a ball or something. I feel curious. I just ask. Why is your paper crumpled up? (laughs) Whatever it is, like teaching the constructs in a way that that is how we talk. We talk in that manner. We talk about, oh, I see from your perspective, you got there into that seat first and your bag was there. And, you know, you thought this was your place and you feel justified. And, you know, you're thinking like this is mine. It's rightfully mine. And what's happening in his perspective? You know, and you can even challenge the students to do that. So that when the teachers are the ambassadors, then First of all, we get the benefit of all the teachers being able to develop these skills themselves. So every teacher walks into the classroom and walks into the day and they see, you know, their coworker and they see that their coworker is texting when they walk in and they think to themselves, I see them texting. I think that they don't like me. I feel annoyed. I choose to badmouth them to the other coworker. With the skills that we want our kids to do when our teachers are thinking about these things and the whole school environment changes, it's a whole paradigm shift for the entire school. What's tricky about it is that it doesn't have the nice, beautiful package of, you know, you have half an hour a day, watch this video, do this exercise, and then do this thing. Now, I do have schools that are amazing staff have actually developed for their, because every culture is so different within the school, even the staff themselves know, okay, these are, this is what my community could be comfortable with that, and that's perspective taking to think about what the parents would want. And to think about, you know, how can we create a joint effort, but being able to actually integrate these things throughout the day requires personal responsibility where, okay, so then I'm writing down, uh, my goal is, let's say I want to use three constructs today. My plan is to use it with this thing, this thing, and this thing, but I have flexibility because once I know the constructs and this issue comes up, I know how to apply it. Or after the fact, I know that I failed in this or I messed up or now, okay, now how I want to learn from that situation and now I can use the construct there. So it's something that because it's actually real, then it doesn't come in a nice bow as nothing that's real does. You know?
1: <laughs> it sounds like we have a lot of school leaders listening to this show, head teachers, deputies, assistant heads, that kind of thing. And by the side of what you're saying is to get the most out of this, we need to be threading this out throughout the school day, throughout the range of lessons that our kids experience. And as school leaders, what we need to do is provide the structure that makes it easier for our staff to be able to implement on the classroom day after day after day.
0: Yes. And it, and it even can be fun. Like I have a school that has like a competition. Like how many I see, I think I feel choose to do get into your classes today. And like part of their lesson is which construct are you teaching during this lesson? You're teaching a civil war session. Sorry, I'm from the States. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when we teach the lessons, we teach it through the concept of perspective taking. When we talk about problem solving as one of the constructs and we talk about well, like, what do you think they could have done? You know, that was what happened. The war is what happened. What could have been done? Let's brainstorm. Let's try and think about their perspective. Let's come up with a brainstorm of all the things that were bothering them. Now let's come up with a brainstorm of possible solutions okay, now will that, would that have settled their problem? And teaching them the actual skills that we want them to deal with when they deal with a bully in the lunchroom, when they deal with the conflict of who's sitting in the, who's seat, or whatever the components are that are the real things that happen in life. How can we give them those skills? And we think about that, like as educators, like how can we use these situations as opportunities? How can we use the classroom as space to be able to do this? And it's fun. It's It really is. It changes the dynamic from being one of stress to being one of opportunity and choice and possibilities.
1: We've been talking, and I think we've only just scratched the surface of this topic. If you're a teacher or a parent listening to this podcast, what's the first step you can take today to start helping your pupils with their social skills?
0: Well, of course, you should definitely email me for a free demo. That's for sure. Miriam at skillsforconnection.com. But aside from that, what every person can do right this moment is being able to acknowledge for themselves that they are also part of this journey, where I, as a parent and part of this journey. I am a teacher of part of this journey. This isn't a kid's problem. This isn't a student's problem. This isn't a Corona problem. This isn't a, you know, 2022 problem. This is a, here we have in front of us, our lives and the lives of all the people that we can impact. And we are all part of this journey. It's not, Oh, that kid has this diagnosis. It's, I am struggling with perspective taking because I am having a hard time relating to the student that's on me. Now that doesn't therefore mean the student can't grow or that we don't have hope for the student, but that's good for me to take responsibility. Okay. I see that I have a place for, for me to grow in this. How can I explore? What can I brainstorm? What can I, you know, that's a different construct that I teach about. How can I see this as an evolving process that I too am part of and I too am responsible for? That's what I would say today you could do. This next minute you can do. How can I relate to my spouse? How can I relate to my coworker? How can I relate to my employees, my employer, my students, the, You know, superintendent, the person at the front desk, everyone. It's all in all of us. And it's exciting because we all can grow in it.
1: And how can our listeners find out more about your website? I know you've said to email you, but you've got other resources. You've got a book on Amazon. Can you tell us how to get a hold of those?
0: So I do cohorts and you can check out any of my cohorts on skillsforconnection.com. I'm on Instagram, skills for the number four connection. And I you know, routinely put out like social, uh, emotional regulation. I just did a series on that. You, can, again, the free demo, which helps, you know, see what a construct could look like. I do free consults uh, because I am so excited to share this with everybody. And um, I have a WhatsApp group for parents and a WhatsApp, different WhatsApp group for the professionals that obviously though, we all are part of this, but it's, you know, just there's different questions that come up when you're dealing with the classroom than when you're dealing with your child at home and yeah. And bubble double is available. That's my book on Amazon that, uh, really talks through and spells out different skills of social skills and also allows it to be something that is playful and wonderful and exciting and bubbles, you know.
1: Who doesn't love bubbles? Miriam, last of all, we ask this of all ad guests. Who is the key figure that's influenced you or what is the key book that you've read that's had the biggest impact on your approach to working with kids?
0: Um, Influenced me, I would say my parents. And I would say that they are role models of people who are always growing. I have eight siblings and even when the youngest was in school, my parents would still, you know, be learning about parenting and they had tons of experience. And that really showed me that we're never finished growing and we never have to be, you know, stuck with any place we are, we always can get way beyond and way more connected and way more expansive. And just, I would say they're the ones that uh, have influenced me the most.
1: Maureen Campbell, it's been a pleasure. I've learned a lot, certainly. Thank you for being on the
0: show. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so great. Thank you. Ah,
2: really interesting to hear Miriam talk there, especially about how social skills underpin so much of our students' success in schools, with friendships as well as succeeding with their academic work.
1: Yeah, completely. They're so important. And I put links to Miriam's website and book in the episode description.
2: And of course, there's a whole number of reasons why a child might have difficulty with their social skills. And we've got a free download that could help. It's called the SEND Handbook, it's newly updated and we've written it to help you to link behaviours that you see in the classroom with underlying conditions such as autism, ADHD and trauma.
1: The idea isn't for teachers to try and make a diagnosis because that's the role of medical practitioners – but to help educators start making connections between behaviours they see in the classroom and possible underlying needs. So we can start getting help from the right professionals and get early intervention strategies in place.
2: The handbook also gives you a wealth of fact sheets full of useful information about seven underlying conditions, including FASD, PDA and ODD. It's a completely free download visit beaconschoolsupport.co.uk, click on the free resources tab and you'll see the SEND handbook available to download for free from the top of the page. We'll also drop a direct link in the episode description.
1: And finally, if you found today's episode interesting or valuable, Don't forget to open up your podcast app and hit the subscribe button if you haven't done already. This will tell your app to automatically download every episode as it's released so you never miss a thing. It's like series link from your telly, but for podcasts. And subscribing will make you feel as happy as a squirrel who's just stumbled across a particularly large pile of nuts. Now that's happiness.
2: On that note... Thank you for listening. We hope you have a brilliant week and we look forward to seeing you next time on School Behaviour Secrets. Bye for now. Bye.